1: Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Carrie Beaton with the Fertility Center of Las Vegas, welcoming you to another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. And I am joined here today by Dr. Abby Eblen, our uh, ever gorgeous, world traveling um, (laughs) physician who is coming from Nashville Fertility Center. Hey guys! And then, of course, we have the even equally. I was going to say even more beautiful, and then I realized, oh shit, that's going to get me in (laughs) trouble. (laughs) I
0: I wouldn't be offended by that.
1: (laughs) The equally as lovely lovely, uh, Dr. Susan Hudson from Texas Fertility Center. How are you guys doing today? Hanging in there. So I have a random girly question for you guys
2: because
1: as, and part of this is, I think if I lived in any other city besides Las Vegas, I don't think a lot of this stuff would ever cross my mind. However, as I've mentioned on previous episodes, my patients are just, phenomenally beautiful and many of them are naturally beautiful in addition to they really know how to optimize absolutely everything they've been given. And so I was thinking, so that means that things cross my mind like, oh what are you trying to optimize, Carrie? Well I'm just thinking like I see these women with (laughs) beautiful eyelashes and oh yeah perfect brows from so like the the eyelash I'm going to say sticky eyelashes and that is not the right term. (laughs) You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's a thing. That's a big thing now. Yeah. It's a huge thing. And like eyebrow microblading and permanent makeup and Botox and um, laser hair removal and all of these types of things that like nothing is a really way out in left field, but was thinking like, oh, well, should I get my eyebrows microbladed? And then was doing some research and like, well, what happens when they fade? And what happens if you get somebody who really doesn't... What if you end up with like eyebrows that Vulcan are Vulcan like, eyebrows? <laughs> yes. Yes. Like what if you end up with Vulcan eyebrows? What if you end up with um, like giant commas instead of just this long, graceful arch, like all of those types of things. And now... Now I'm like, oh, well, do I do this? Do I the not do this? Permanent, the more permanent, the more scary, I think.
0: But, you know, I mean, I think some things like your eyelashes, those those will grow back if you do something to them or something happens and yeah, but you have it doesn't go the way. regularly. But What's the that? thing
2: is, is like, these things all take, ma- like none of those things are actually well, permanent per- solutions for well, if
0: lay If you do laser hair removal, that's permanent, isn't it?
2: No, it's not permanent. It's, it's, it's not, semi-permanent. It's no, it'll per- decrease. Up. It'll decrease, oh. but like if you get laser hair removal of your, say your legs, like, yeah, it doesn't mean you're never, ever, 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 ever going to have to do something. Chances oh, okay. are you, you're you will eventually, but not anytime soon. See, mm-hmm. that's where having lighter
0: colored hair all my life has kind of helped because if they grow out a little bit, you can't really see them.
1: So that's the good thing. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, I
1: definitely have really dark hair.
2: Um, Plus, you you
0: can't do laser hair removal if you have really light hair too. Exactly. It doesn't work. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, you're, you're the only one of the three of us, Carrie, that really laser her hair removal. Not, I mean, you're beautiful. You look awesome. What are you? What, I mean, you look fantastic. You, not when you put me
1: next to my patients, my dear. Like my Stop. patients are just really, it's almost disgusting.
0: Like, okay. My it, vote is, really Carrie, beautiful. you should start with the eyelashes if you're good. But you have really long eyelashes, I think, though.
1: Ah, I do. I mean, I help them be long. Like that is that is the one bow that I have made to, okay, I would really like this. I don't have the time to do the maintenance of going every three weeks to get the eyelashes so you in. you do
2: like Latisse or something?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, I do look into that. That is the one bend that I have made to like, oh, okay. cool. Okay. And that's easy because I can put that on every night. It's, you know, or every other night. I tried that once and it really works well if you do it consistently, but it, made my, it irritated my eyes and made my eyes puffy for some reason. I don't know why. Wow. Oh, yeah. Like mine, mine are fine, but I see, and my patients ask me about all these things. And so I started to learn like, okay, you know, what are the risks of Botox? What do we know? What do we not know? What about all the fillers? What about all of the, the you know, this, that, and the other thing. And so the general answer is if you're going to do it, do it before you get yeah, you know, either before or after your treatment, but not during it, because we don't know and all of that. And so like, um, spray tans and and all those things. And a lot of these things, I am frankly too lazy or just don't have enough time to do because regular maintenance is not my gig. If I'm doing regular yeah. maintenance, it's on you know some random house project that I need to do <laughs> that if I don't, the house will fall down. Um, but... Yeah, that's how I am with fingernails
0: too. It's like, you know, it's just too much work to go every couple of weeks and get those wow. redone. I just... I keep mine short and neat and that's all I do. Wow. It's the one girly thing I
1: don't really don't really care to do, which is funny. Cause you are, I mean, you are always just immaculately beautifully put together with. <laughs> Thank you, Carrie.
2: You are, you are and Abby.
1: And jewelry. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I want to be like Abby. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> That's very nice of you. But the, so the original question that sparked all of this is like, have you guys ever thought about doing any of that stuff? And what do you tell your patients when they go through asking all those questions?
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't think if somebody feels like that, that's going to make them feel better, they want to do it. I mean, heck one of these days, if I get enough wrinkles under my eye and I've got plenty already, but if I get too many more, one of these days I'm going to like, you know, do a little lid stuff under, you know, blood for plastic. So I'm not against it by any means, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's okay to do, but I, ideally when you're trying to get pregnant, I probably would avoid it just in general. Cause you just don't know. What do you say, Absolutely. Susan?
2: Yeah, I I totally I mean, when we're talking to patients, I, I completely with the agree with the like if you're gonna do it, do it before we start our stuff. And if you're gonna do it after, I would prefer you to do it after you've had your baby. <laughs> because yeah. we just we don't we don't know the implications of these things that you might be, you know, injecting into your body and, and that those types of things. As to yourself, you know, it, it's one of those things that it goes along with kind of all the plastic surgery stuff in that if you want it for you to see something different in the mirror, that's fine. But how you feel about yourself probably isn't coming from that anyway.
0: Oh, Oh, wow. There you go. Philosophical statement answer to your question,
1: Mm. Carrie. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. All right. Susan, do you have a question of the week for us?
2: I do. I do. Okay. Our listener says this. I've been listening to your podcast ever since the doctor told me my only option is to have a child with my wife is with microtesty surgery and IVF. I did all my labs and testing and the numbers were great, except I had no speed in the ejaculate, non-obstructive azospermia. They said the other number that was out of whack was the one that deals with your brain telling your body to produce more sperm. A, a number that is usually below 12, mine was in the 30s. I'm going to insert here, I'm assuming he's this person's talking about FSH. Um, yeah. oh,
0: my,
2: my question is, what are the chances that microtesty surgery will find any sperm? I am in the military, so I am waiting to transfer and will be seeing a Dr. James Wren at Northwestern Medical Facility in Chicago. My wife is completely healthy. I'm just concerned about if they even find sperm once they pull the samples from the surgery. My volume was five. My pH was like 7.2 or 7.4 testosterone in the 600s. Mm -hmm. I'm just giving you as much information as I can in order for you to provide me with as much information as you can. Thank you very much. I look forward to hearing from you. If you need more information, please let me know. So
0: to summarize... He has non-obstructive azoospermia, which means that he has a low sperm count, but there's no blockage there, which means usually it's a hormonal thing. There's some sort of hormonal thing that's preventing him from making sperm. And you said his FSH, which is the hormone that comes from the brain, was, we think, 30, right? Which is high. In the 30s, right.
2: And testosterone was in the 600s.
0: Which is pretty okay. Well,
2: sometimes I've
0: actually seen that before where there's a little disconnect there since FSH is really the primary thing that talks to the sperm. So basically to sort of summarize, what he's saying is he's in testicular failure or, or and almost at the end stages of his testes failing, not making sperm. And so some doctors can go in and basically do a procedure on the testes where they can go in and aspirate some of the sperm. So his question really is, what's the likelihood that they're going to find sperm? And what would you say, Carrie?
1: <laughs> really pretty low. Well. But here's where you never say always, and you never say never.
0: Well, and I think too, if he's making testosterone, that kind of makes you think something's going on there in his testes, because that's the two things the testes do. They make sperm and they make testosterone. And, you know, I know some of the urologists around here, you know, will palpate the testes. And, you know, if the size of the testes at the time of their exam is kind of close to normal, that tells you if something's going on in there. So, yeah, but, you know, you just, it's kind of one of those things I don't think you really know until you get in there, but... You know, if it I mean, were my partner, I would say, go for
1: it. He might have like a Sertoli only syndrome where the LH and the testosterone production is just fine, but there's no, there's no sperm producing cells in there. The problem mm-hmm. is you're not going to know that unless you do a testicular biopsy. And if you're going to do a testicular biopsy, go for the gold. And if mm-hmm. you can find sperm, go for it. And there's, there's kind of two ways to approach this. Sometimes guys will go in and they'll say, okay, do we have any sperm at all? And they'll do a a test run, so to speak and see if they can get anything. And then if they do, then they move ahead with the full IVF cycle. And if they don't, then they move to donor sperm or adoption or whatever is the next in their their life plan. But what this really, in my mind, comes down to is I think everybody can tell you your chances are really low. That FSH is really high, um, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But not impossible though. I mean, i am definitely seeing where
0: there's little pockets of sperm production in the testes. It's just the urologist is going to have to be real you know, careful to try and check a bunch of different areas in the testes to see if they can find, you know, even just a small, even if they can find a small amount of sperm, you know, if your partner makes 10 or 15 eggs, literally, they need to find 10 or 15 living sperm, basically. So, in
2: mm-hmm. my understanding with micro whether it's fresh or frozen, the studies have actually shown that there's not a difference from my understanding. I am not a urologist, neither are any of you guys but yeah. do y'all have a different understanding of that? Because originally when microtessi came out, it was like, oh, we got to do it fresh. And then data came up saying it really wasn't necessary. And, and in this situation, this is one of those that I think going and trying to do it ahead of time before you spend you know, $6,000 on medications right. for your partner and yeah. you know, a $10,000 stimulation, all those types of things. Like knowing if you have your own sperm because if you end up not getting sperm, then if you decide that perhaps donor sperm might be a good option, you're going to save tens of thousands of dollars, yeah. um, and, and and a lot of work and heartache going along with it. And, and granted, there there's definitely would be heartache accompanied with that diagnosis. But then you know you know that there are, are other paths available if you so choose to go down this.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So topic of the day is sex selection and family balancing when dealing with embryos. And so Susan, what is this?
2: All right. So this is essentially a situation where we have patients who come to see us or other reproductive endocrinologists, and they wish to have a child of a certain gender um, when you're talking about family balancing per se, that's generally when they have a child or children of a certain gender and they're choosing another gender. Um, It can happen in that type of scenario. Sometimes um, people come in specifically wanting a child of a specific gender. Um, It it just kind of depends, but it's it's the same concept. It's handled in the same way.
1: So Abby, what are, the, some of, what are some of the medical reasons for people coming in and saying very specifically, I want a girl or I want a boy? Some
0: traits can be X-linked. So sometimes they can be transmitted from mother to son. And so one of the reasons why you might wanna do gender selection would be if you're a female and you carry something like Fragile X or muscular dystrophy or something like that, and you wanna minimize the chances that it would get transmitted to your child. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. Am I, what, what am I missing, Susan?
2: I think there's a... I mean, X-linked it's diseases are going going main. to be the, the main reason you would choose a specific gender.
1: I occasionally have patients who come in who due to their... Um, the most recent one I can think of is a, a woman who had PCOS. And she had had a horrible time conceiving, even with just the mild clomid all treatments. And it was not only her, it was both sisters, mother, grandmother, and aunt, like a, a really extensive family history. And she's like, I don't want my girl to go through all of this. I really would just like a boy um, because of that history. And it's something that, you know, we talked about, there's no guarantee, but her family history was strong enough that, that I, I totally understand her concern because there was a decent chance that any girl would have had that based on what we had seen previously. Um Susan when you have someone who comes in for family balancing meaning they have a boy mm-hmm. and they want a girl or vice versa how do you counsel them on on that
2: Absolutely absolutely so um first of all I counsel them that they, there are no guarantees <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> that, that that I I cannot g- guarantee that you're going to have a child of a certain gender. There are definitely things we can do to help increase the odds in that favor. And so in our practice, we don't really buy into sperm sorting. Um, there there's some places yeah, that'll like either. spin sperm and I don't know if they even do that
0: anymore. I don't I don't know that anybody even does there
2: are some places who still okay. do that. And um kind of the idea is that, you know, if you have two X chromosomes, or if you have a sperm with an X chromosome, it's going to be heavier than the Y chromosome. And you might be able to push the odds a little more in one favor or the other. So with that essentially being relatively bogus, that, doing things that involve insemination there is no way for us to have have really an impact okay all of the old wives tales of you know, timing and and position and and, and all that before or after right right <laughs> you know i mean the reality infertility is um gender is generally um a, a little like 50 points something in favor of male and 49 point something in favor of female. That's the way kind of the split is. And it and if we do something other than IVF or in vitro fertilization with um, what we call PGTA pre-implantation genetic testing for aneuploidy. And while we're doing that, we're going to find out, you know, what chromosomes are involved in part of that analysis. We are going to find out if they're Are two X's and two Y's. And and so, with that type of testing, we have a pretty darn good sure notice of what the gender of that embryo is. Okay. But with that being said, you know, if I have somebody who has three or four embryos that are available to be tested for PGTA, the understanding is we expect, under the best of conditions, about half of them to be chromosomally abnormal. So they're not even included. And kind of back what I was saying earlier is that I'm, you know, personally, I'm happy to transfer if you want a girl or a boy embryo and we have both, you know, I'm, I'm happy to transfer whichever one you want to have transferred first. Um, I usually like to go through, you know, the grading of the embryos and understanding, you know, that part of it, that type of thing. But I can't guarantee if you came in to see me because you wanted to have a girl, and I have two boy embryos. You're going to know from you can't point make that one, happen. <laughs> I, I I can't magically make that happen. And and at the point that you may have embryos that are not what you want, you always have the choice of doing another cycle, understanding that there's a possibility we could end up in the same situation. There's a possibility we could end up getting what you want as well, but it is a bit of a gamble. You know, the younger you are, the more eggs we have, the more embryos we have, the more likely you're going to end up with what you so desire, but but there are no guarantees. So it is a bit of a gamble. And I think it's, this is an important conversation to have because these people need to kind of have a game plan as to if we end up with embryos that are not the gender we want, what is going to be our plan I think that's a very good conversation to have before there are actual embryos there. Mm-hmm. It is it, it's mm-hmm. something that that needs some thought and some discussion and and those types of things. And so that's a big part of my um counseling when somebody comes to talk to me about family balancing.
1: Mm-hmm. What characteristics really set you up for the most successful type of family balancing cycle, Abby? So the same characteristics that set you up for just a successful cycle in
0: general, and that's female age. So the younger the female partner is, um, the more likely, like Susan was just saying, the more likely you're going to have more eggs, therefore more embryos, therefore more normal embryos. And then, you know, just the more we have to test, the more likely we are to find, you know, an embryo that's the gender that, that, you know, that the, the patient wants. So, Age, I think, probably for women is sort of the biggest thing that makes a difference as far as success Mm -hmm. in family balancing.
2: It's the one time I'm really happy to see PCOS. (laughs) That is (laughs) true. Because we're more likely to get at, you know, if somebody comes up to me. And for true family balancing, most of the time, these people have not had trouble conceiving in the past. So they generally have proven fertility. And then... You know, if if it's a situation where you have, you know, if you're young or you naturally have a lot of antral follicles or the little follicles we can see, it's a numbers game. It's a numbers it game. Is. And, you know, we have to play those odds.
0: Well, you know, on that same note, you were talking about counseling patients. You know, it's really interesting. I think some of the most upset and sad and disappointing patients I see when they don't get pregnant are patients who really prior to this have had no fertility problems, So patients that are coming for family balancing, you know, sometimes women that have had tubal ligations, you know, everybody kind of thinks, oh, well, I've gotten pregnant before. This is going to be a chip shot. And, you know, still your age is important. And even if you're the patient with the best prognosis, there's still, you know, best case scenario, 65 to 70 percent chance of pregnancy. So I think in preparation for it, you sort of need to prepare yourself for, you know, just like the other patients that go through IVF. This may not work for me the first time around.
1: And it's important to realize that getting pregnant on your own is very different than getting pregnant on an IVF cycle. Cause you can have someone who's 30 years old, has two babies previously without any problems, but who comes in and whose follicle count is relatively low. And it doesn't mean that her fertility is a problem at all, but it does mean that going through an IVF cycle, she's not going to have that many embryos to work with. And when you're going to mm-hmm. only work with half of what you get, that puts you in a, a tougher position. And so explaining that difference is important from the very first visit or from the very first consult where you have those numbers available of, mm-hmm. look, this is this is different than trying on your own, and, and this is why, and this is something that you and I have very minimal control over. Um, the other thing that that I always counsel my patients when they're coming in specifically for a male or for a female child, I always tell them, you know, number one, what are we going to do if we don't get the sex that you want? And number two, even if we do get that, there's no guarantee that that child is going to have whatever is in your mind that you want out of a girl or out of a boy. And so, and sometimes saying that very directly of, you know, there's no guarantee that this little boy is going to want to play baseball and catch with you in the backyard in the Mm -hmm. same way that there's no guarantee this little girl is going to wear tutus and go to dance class. Yeah. So you know, we can, we can identify the presence or absence of a Y chromosome or two X chromosomes, but that's really it. The characteristics of that child are like any other human being. You can have tomboys, you can have, um, you know, kids with any number of interests and none of that shows up in the genetic testing that we do ahead of time. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, be really cognizant of what it is you are expecting and what you can reasonably get, because just getting uh, a Y chromosome or two X chromosomes is very different than whatever may be going on in your brain that makes you really say, Oh, I really want a girl. I really want a boy. Have you guys seen, and and this is a question where I've never seen any data for this. So this is just pure experience where sometimes you'll get a, uh, a guy who comes and says, look, my family only makes boys or my family only makes girls. You know, I have four girls from two separate relationships. My, you know, my brother only has daughters, uh, or my sister, excuse me, only has daughters. My, you know, my entire family is just girls. And what do you guys, have you guys seen, seen these couples where, you know, you try a couple times and you just get the one gender, one sex.
0: Yeah, I will say one of one of the persons that trained me, Marvin Yesman, he was one of the mentors in our University of Louisville Fellowship Program, and he had four boys. And that's what he said. He said there's, and I haven't seen the data, but he said there's some data around that says, I think after you've had three of the same gender, you're much more likely to have a fourth of the same gender too. But I haven't really actually seen that data before.
2: <laughs> it, it, it's interesting because I, I have had patients who, like I think of one person in particular that. She made a ton of embryos. I think we tested like 12, 15 embryos. It was a lot of embryos, which that's a lot of embryos to test. That's a lot of embryos. And all the embryos that were normal, not all of the embryos, but all the embryos that were chromosomally Mm -hmm. normal were girls. There were a lot of them. We got pregnant with the first one and then we ended up with recurrent pregnancy loss on all the others. Ended up having to do another IVF cycle and the next cycle was a very well-balanced gender wise cycle is very interesting. And it, it was funny because she had finished this one cycle and she had, um, because she knew she had all these girl embryos and she was expecting to have another girl when she was pregnant with her first one, she bought all this extra stuff and people were always like, why are you buying so much stuff? <laughs> Cause she was planning ahead and then she ends up having a boy as her next child. It was, it was so cute. I, I, I love precious, precious, precious patient. But I'm from, my husband is one of those families that they quote, only make boys. Mm -hmm. And for like generations, boys, 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 boys. And my brother-in-law has two girls and I have two boys and a girl. So, you know, I I think there are tendencies, but I think, you know, you flip a coin enough times. I don't think that there are men who only have like boy or girl sperm. We know that that's, that's not the way they develop. But I think it's it's the weird things. I mean, Carrie, you're in Vegas. Weird things happen, you know. If you, if you as we say, if you put the coin in enough times, the odds are eventually, you know, going to play in your favor. But the house, <laughs> the house
1: always wins. That is very true. The house always wins. So, all right. Um, trying to think of any last thoughts. One of the things that just uh, one last thought that occurred to me is most people don't know if they need to do medical sex selection at all. One of the best ways to figure that out is to do. Um, genetic carrier screening, which is looking, and we've done episodes on this in the past, you know, looking to see whether each half of a couple um, carries any genes that are problematic. Um, the guys usually don't for the most part. It's usually the women that are the silent carriers of these excellent genes because women have two. And so one that works well and is functioning well can cover for the other one that is maybe not functioning as well. However, if she passes that one bad chromosome, one bad X chromosome to a boy child, he's more likely to be affected, um, which is what Abby was talking about earlier. But the way that you find that out is by doing carrier screening. That's part of the reason why it's pretty routine for all of us to do. But um, that was one last thought that occurred to me of this is how you know this might apply to you. But Mm -hmm. other thoughts, last minute thoughts from either of you about family balancing or about sex selection?
2: I would say if we have listeners who are interested in the subject that if you're thinking about this, and there's a clinic that you want to go to, call that clinic and see if they offer the service because not all clinics do offer the service. And even within clinics, there may be certain physicians who do or do not. It's obviously a very personal decision. It's a very personal decision for you. It's a very personal decision for um, the physician as well. So um, just be aware, not everywhere does it. There's a lot of places that do, but it's something to ask instead of just calling and making an appointment and saying, I need IVF. Mentioning, I want to do IVF with either family balancing or gender selection, and the whoever's making the appointments. The, these are questions that get asked all the time. They're going to be able to point you in the right direction. But it, I think it's important to say when you're making your first. Yeah, that's call. good advice.
0: One other point to make is we get this question a lot. You know, if you've gone through IVF and you, and most of the time now with most clinics, if you do IVF and you do genetic testing on your embryos mainly because you want to have a genetically normal embryo to transfer, many clinics will let you choose the gender of the embryo that you transfer. So you're maybe doing it for a fertility reason, but most clinics would say if you have boys and girls and you choose a boy over a girl or vice versa, most clinics would allow you to, to transfer that particular embryo. And many times, at least in our clinic, we don't see a big difference in the chances of success with either one. A lot of times, most of them are pretty similar in terms of development and pretty similar in terms of the likelihood of getting pregnant. So if you've had genetic testing of your embryos, you're going to know that you either have male embryos or female embryos. And and many times clinics will let you choose which you can
1: transfer. We also don't have to tell you that information. Like I frequently have patients who are like transfer the best one. I don't want to know if it's male or female. I don't know if I want, I do not want to know if I have both boys or girls or just one or the other. Um, And we are very happy to, to respect that, that as well. Like, Truly, unless there is a, a gene that's gone awry that we need to look out for, we don't really care um, yeah. in many cases. And so, you know, we will tell you, we'll not tell you. Um, obviously, if the genes are abnormal, we're going to tell you that. Um, but the rest of it, we're we're pretty good on. So very good. All right. Well, to our audience, thank you so much for listening and be sure to tune in next week for more. And um, please, if you could leave us a review, we are grateful for that. Um, and we would also love to hear from you.
2: You can also visit com to schedule an appointment with any of us or submit specific questions you have about infertility or ideas that you have about episodes you'd like to hear. Everything will be answered on our podcast anonymously in our Ask the Docs segment. So don't hold back. We love to hear from you. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye.